Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hey everyone, Ellie Honig here, and I'm excited to bring you the audio of my weekly note to the CAFE community, where I analyze news at the intersection of law and politics. Before we get started, I want to let you know about a new CAFE podcast, Now and Then, hosted by historians Heather Cox Richardson and Joanne Freeman. Every Tuesday, Heather and Joanne explore current events in the larger context of American history and look back at historical parallels to help us understand our present moment. You can listen to Now and Then on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I will have more news soon right here about an upcoming podcast that I cannot wait to unveil. I think you're going to love it. It draws on my experience as a prosecutor in the Southern District of New York, and I will leave it right there for now. Thank you all for listening. And as always, please send in any thoughts, comments, or questions to letters at cafe.com. And now on to my note. Don McGahn has finally testified. You might have missed it by design. It wasn't in public or live on television, but it happened behind closed doors in a House Judiciary Committee meeting room with only a dry transcript to show for it. Here's the low light. McGahn testified that when he was White House counsel, former President Donald Trump instructed him to fire special counsel Robert Mueller And later, Trump told McGahn to lie and to create a false document to cover it up. Your basic obstruction 101 kind of conduct. As if to make it as flagrant as possible, Trump did it right in the Oval Office. McGahn's testimony was remarkable and damning and essentially uncontested. It also was not new. We've known about McGahn's account of the Oval Office encounter for over two years. Since release of the Mueller report in April 2019, it's right there on page 115 of volume two. Yet nobody has done a damn thing about McGahn's testimony since then, and nothing is going to happen to anybody now either. Ultimately, the McGahn saga will go down in history as a holistic, system-wide failure. A look back at the McGahn saga reveals a shortage of courage, integrity, and plain old competence by actors across the political spectrum. There's plenty of blame to go around, and we need to name names. So in rough sequential order of appearance, the following people contributed to differing degrees to this wide-scale breakdown in our public institutions. First, Donald Trump and Don McGahn. Let's start at the start. Trump obviously bears primary blame here. He's the one who tried to fire Mueller under flimsy pretense mid-investigation. He's the one who tried to get McGahn to cover up, to lie about the effort to remove Mueller, to gin up a fake document, to make like Roy Cohn and get dirty. Even Trump's most ardent supporters those who claim he somehow exercised a constitutional imperative of the presidency when he fired FBI Director James Comey, when he tried to fire Mueller, when he dangled pardons, even they can't justify asking a person to create a false document to mislead a pending investigation. Don't let Don McGahn play the hero here either. 
Sure, he ignored Trump's instruction to can Mueller. In one of the new details to emerge from McGahn's testimony, he admitted that he lied to Trump about the purported effort to remove Mueller because he was, quote, trying to get off the phone. On this point, I sympathize. Imagine the boss constantly calling you at home, railing about how you need to do something absurd and probably illegal. McGahn testified that he felt, and I quote, oof, frustrated, perturbed, trapped, many emotions. The oof part is absolutely essential here, and I'm leaving it in the quote. Yet McGahn, a lawyer, kept quiet about the whole incident, which was, let us not forget, criminal. And as we'll address in a bit, McGahn went right along with efforts to block his public testimony, or at least to delay it until way beyond when it would actually matter. Next up, number two, Robert Mueller. I've come to this bottom line on Mueller. He did a remarkable job gathering facts and piecing together the complex jigsaw puzzle of Trump's malfeasance and cover-up, but he did a terrible job applying the law and stating a clear legal conclusion. We all remember Mueller's infamous backwards syntax double negative conclusion. If we had confidence after a thorough investigation of the facts that the president clearly did not commit obstruction of justice, we would so state, but we are unable to reach that judgment. Mueller took a pass despite the special counsel regulations, which call for, quote, a report explaining the prosecution or declination decisions reached by the special counsel. Precisely the kind of thumbs up or thumbs down call that Mueller declined to make. Mueller's reticence left the door open for public spin and worse, for dissemblers with bad intentions. Which leads us to number three, William Barr. Yes, you knew he'd be in here. He'll be back later too. Barr lied to the public about the Mueller report. Don't take it from me. Take it from Mueller himself or from multiple federal judges. And he artificially withheld the report from the public for nearly a month as public opinion calcified around his distorted spin. Barr also declared, contrary to the weight of the evidence, the law, and the conclusion of over a thousand former federal prosecutors, including me, that Trump had not obstructed justice without ever addressing the specifics including Trump's entreaty to McGahn to create a false document. If Barr had done his job, or even if he simply had not lied, Trump might well have faced consequences for his actions, and McGahn would have been a crucial witness or perhaps even a co-conspirator. Fourth, Jerry Nadler, with an assist from Nancy Pelosi. After release of the Mueller report in April 2019, House Judiciary Commander Nadler talked big about exacting accountability. Yet it took him four months until August 2019 to file a lawsuit seeking to compel McGahn's testimony. All told, Nadler obtained live public testimony from a grand total of one relevant fact witness, Corey Lewandowski, who predictably turned the House floor into a circus. All the while, Pelosi unsubtly undermined Nadler and made clear that despite the rhetoric, she would never let impeachment proceed on the Mueller report. Indeed, Democrats didn't even include obstruction of the Mueller investigation as a tack-on, even when they did get around to impeaching Trump over the Ukraine scandal. Fifth, Trump again, McGahn again, and Barr for an encore. This troika developed and hid behind the silly absolute immunity legal theory, which would empower the president and the executive branch to ignore congressional subpoenas for any reason or for no particular reason at all. The federal courts, up to and including the Supreme Court, eventually rejected this silly artifice and its various iterations. 
A district court judge, Ketanji Brown Jackson, recently promoted to the Court of Appeals, deservedly, rightly demolished the theory as a, quote, fiction that gets separation of powers, quote, exactly backwards. But Barr's artifice still did the job for Trump and McGahn. It enabled them to run out the clock until well beyond the 2020 election into mid-2021, by which time McGahn's testimony was more nostalgia than breaking news. Sixth up, the federal courts. Now, Judge Brown Jackson gets high marks. She ruled correctly, in my view, and reasonably promptly. But then the Court of Appeals spent the next year and a half kicking the case back and forth between various panels. The litigation would still be ongoing right now if not for the negotiated agreement between the parties that finally brought McGahn to testify behind closed doors. The courts must do better. I know that cases take time to brief, argue, and decide, but there must be some prioritization, some urgency to disputes that implicate core separation of powers principles. Seventh, Merrick Garland. This one's temporary because Garland still can take meaningful action, but let's be real, he won't. Thus far, Garland has shown zero inclination to take on any of Trump's worst abuses as president, seemingly looking for the path of least resistance and hoping to stroll past hands in pockets and whistling, hoping nobody much cares anymore. I understand it would be extraordinarily difficult and messy to pursue any former president, but it's also an ugly bit of non-feasance to pretend not to notice just because it's easier. Someday when people study the McGahn saga, they'll ask, why were there no consequences to Trump or anyone else for such flagrant misconduct? The answer is that too many institutions and too many people simply failed to do their jobs. Stay safe and stay informed, everybody. 